take notes, but I mean, you need a little difficulty in your life, so listen up. <laughs> take your Bibles as a jumping off point this evening. Just go to Colossians uh, chapter number three. Don't worry about standing or anything. Um, <clears throat> have more remarks than uh, scripture to read at the moment. So, but um, want to <clears throat> maybe just dip our toe in a subject tonight. They say if you want to make people mad, and I, and I don't believe in being intentionally offensive or intentionally, um, you know, bombastic or, you know, uh, unnecessarily rough with people, but they say if you want to get people mad, talk about three things. And the first thing is religion, but you're used to that. You're at church, right? It's okay. You know, we're all used to that. So, uh, and then they say politics, and then they say music. Okay, if you want to get somebody good, red hot mad, go ahead and talk about religion, politics, or music. And so I would like to maybe venture out into the murky waters of music this evening and just maybe, just maybe navigate it in a way where we don't lose half the people here. <clears throat> if, uh, if you understand um, the power of music, that you, you know that it becomes somewhat of a sacred cow to people. Uh, and I'm not here to knock music tonight, rather, but give an overview um, <clears throat> and just maybe uh, an insight of music within the church that might help us as a church, um, because you live in a day and age right now where the, the foundational things that make up a church, they seem to be slipping. And, and the more that they slip and the longer we get into this thing without the Lord coming back, you have to realize that the demise of the church first starts with the music. When the music starts to slip, we know that the things coming behind it um, are not good. And so as a church, we are told to hold fast the ancient landmarks. Okay, if we understand the principles that were given to the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament, they were committed the oracles of God. They were what you would consider the gatekeepers of the faith, if you will. And so that's why they didn't uh, have the same responsibilities as the other tribes did who would go out to war and battle and those kinds of things. But rather they would stay by and tend to the religious ceremony and the procedures that took place in the tabernacle to make sure those things were always done. Okay, if you understand where you're at in the church age, then you know that you are now that spiritual Levitical priesthood. The church in and of itself is the gatekeeper of what we allow and what we don't allow in the last days in which we live in. Okay, I will be honest with you. Although I see the good that comes out of uh, technology and the ability to broadcast and the ability to look into what other churches are doing, I also think that there's a danger and there's a possibility as it could be a detriment because what ends up happening is what we lose is the autonomy of the local church. You understand that? I'm, I'm not even gotten into music yet and I feel like I've maybe lost some people. Um, the autonomy of the local church, that we are an independent entity out, that, that is not dictated by any other outside forces. It's the, it's the Bible, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the Holy Spirit, and we have a chain of command down through the pastor and, and into the pews and how we regulate the things done in this church. In the early book of Acts, you have the early uh, church age. Um, what they were doing is they were navigating through changes in the book of Acts, and they were constantly talking to church leaders, and, and basically, how are you dealing with such things? Right? You see Paul, as he writes his uh, books to the Corinthians, he's dealing with situations that the church at Corinth is dealing with. They're dealing with things that maybe the church in Rome is not dealing with. They're dealing with things that the, the church in, in Thessalonica is not dealing with because they're an independent entity. And so I want to say this, when we talk about music in the church, it's really important that we understand that there's not a blanket statement that will cover everyone. Okay? There is nuance to this. But with nuance, we have to understand that we're not just hurled into a gray area, which is called music, without any navigational instruments at all. There are some concrete 
uh, things. There are some, there are some uh, absolutes that we can tend to, just like a pilot when he flies into a rough patch of air or in a place where visibility is very limited. He cannot go by what he sees. He cannot go by how he feels. He must follow the instruments that are given to him. And although music is a nuanced subject, it's not without precise instruction that we can then navigate those things. And so just as a place of jumping off, Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16, a verse that all of you probably know and can quote, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts, to the Lord. Now, there's a similar verse over in Ephesians, in which we'll say, uh, which we'll we'll turn to and quote a little bit later. But well, the reason I, I use this as a jumping off point is we see music linked to um, the Word of Christ, and that is as Bible believers our foundation. Right? We come to the topics at hand and we say, well, what does the Bible uh, uh, tell us about this thing? Okay. And so, what I find interesting is that when you talk to or you look at secular um, understanding or secular explanations when it comes to God, religion, and that kind of thing, if we were to just go ahead and just nuance over the fact that they can't give you an answer of where uh, humans came from. Can we all agree on that? They go, I think there was nothing, and then nothing exploded. And then when nothing exploded, I think there was like a little amoeba or something. And that little amoeba started to, you know, get, you know, some intellectual properties and started to develop over time. And eventually, you know, here we are. <laughs> now, I understand that that's what's taught, and especially in public schools and in higher education, that's what you, you are just told to take for granted, that that's the truth. Okay, but if you believe that or you've been exposed to that, you realize that there's an element of faith to even believe that, don't you think? And I believe that if I would go out on a limb, I would say you would have more faith to believe that than to believe the alternative, which is that this thing didn't happen by accident. And somebody that knows a whole lot more than what we did designed this thing. Correct. It's like if you were to take a, uh, a, a very high-end watch that has all the little, you know, screws and springs and little gadgets and gizmos, and you were to take it meticulously apart, and then you were to put it in a jar, and you were to take that jar, and you were to shake that jar for, let's just say, a million years. What's the likelihood that that watch comes out completely uh, 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 put together and ticking time? It's not possible. So the systems and the things that you enjoy in your body and in nature and all these things, and what you have to understand is that that thing was intelligently designed and there's nobody with a brain in their head who's honest that will tell you anything other than that. The only other thing that stumbles these people more than just the, or, uh, the origination of man is the origination of music. You say, what's the problem with that? The origination of music is very complicated if, you're, if you don't believe in God. They give, us, they give us insights, so, so if you do the simple, just so that you know, this is not just, I mean, I taught, I've taught, I taught this almost 10 years ago, but I, I did a Google search, and guess what, they still say the same thing today, so I guess I'm still up to date. But historians and evolutionists, when asked the question, or posed the question, where does music come from? You know the best that they have to offer you as an, as an explanation here we go. You ready for this? The teenagers, they've already got this. This is what we're going through in teen class. Um, but we'll get into a little bit deeper, so, you know, strap in. Uh, here's number one. The eight men started copying sounds that they heard in nature. There you go. You know, Neanderthal man was sitting on a rock one day, and he heard a, a bird tweet, and he says, oh, sounds like a melody. And he just started just letting her rip. Right? <clears throat> How about this one? Primitive man saying to combat danger. Just much like a cricket would start to chirp when he feels threatened or a skunk would flip up his tail and squirt at you because you are a threat to him. Same way now, uh, uh, you know, uh, ancient man would just go ahead and just, uh, you know, get away from me. Because <laughs> there's nothing more intimidating than a naked man singing at the top of his lungs. Amen. Amen. There's maybe more credence to that than I'm giving it. I don't know. <laughs> There's another one. This is a real good one. Uh, the Venus of LaSalle. Anybody ever heard of that? 
It was an archaeological find that they found back in like 1910, 1911. And they dated it back to like 23,000 years or something like 28,000 years. And uh, basically it was this, uh, this crazy lady um, in a statue form and she had a horn in her hand. Like a bullhorn, like one of them yak horns. Pastor, you got one of them in your office, don't you? The only problem was, is that it was turned upside down. So the big part was next to her face and the small part was out here. But they said, see, this is where ancient music came from. And we date it back, you know, 28,000 years. The problem is, is you say that mankind is a whole lot older than 28,000 years old. And if that's the case, this bimbo was playing that horn all wrong. (laughs) so I don't know what you do with that but that's what they say and then of course in true Darwinist fashion and if you look this up on Google this is still the uh, the explanation uh, for where music originated and that is according to Darwin uh, of the scale of around 10,000 BC man was using uh, bone flutes and whistles and they say they date it back to the, uh, the Paleolithic era, but they don't know if it's the, uh, you know, the, the, the older, there's like an old Paleolithic and a newer Paleolithic age and all this different stuff. And they don't know which one it is, but that's where they get it. And then they go, and it could, might be, might possibly, I don't know, but maybe. You know what the answer to that is? They don't have an answer for it. They don't have an answer for it. The fact that you have music today It's just as much proof of God than the fact that you've got a heart beating and you're not trying to beat it and the sympathetic nervous system is making sure that your lungs are going in and out and breath is going in and out and all the the complex systems of your eye connected to your brain and how you see color and how you can can move around and and this, this brain, your brain senses off and makes you do this and all the muscles that take place for you to... They don't have an answer. Say, what's our stance as Bible believers? Again, we go to the Bible. What's the origination of music? Okay, you want to know where? Go to Job chapter 38. Job chapter number 38. Hopefully I'm not boring everyone tonight. But this is, I'm going somewhere with this, and it'll get down to more practical. But we have to get the doctrinal foundation of my statements before we get into the practical side, or else it won't do you any good. Because then it'll just be my opinion. And we have enough people with those, especially in this subject. So (laughs) let's try to not be that guy. Uh, uh, Job chapter number 38, look in verse number 4. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Again, the Lord answering Job out of a whirlwind in verse number 1. Um, and he's answering Job, and he says in verse number 5, Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, and who laid the cornerstone thereof? Is it fair to say that he's talking about the foundations of the world and the original creation of everything? Okay, so if we were to put a time frame on this, this is prior to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Is that safe to say? Okay, look in verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. What do you do with that? He told you when it was. You say, what is, the, what is the biblical principle for the origin of music? You want to know what it was? That God created it, because it, it was the morning stars, those are the angels, that the morning stars were singing songs to the Lord pre-Genesis 1-1 sometime in eternity. So it's a God thing. Amen. To see, they hate that. <laughs> Just like they hate Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. They don't, they don't like it. Why? Because if there's a God, that is then an indictment on how you live your life. Just like if God created music, the music that you allow in your life could be an indictment against you if God created it. But now, if God didn't create it, then it's just a matter of your preference. You see that? All right, let's keep going before I, I just, I don't want to do anything out of order here. The existence of music in and of itself disproves the the evolutionary theory because every human being is created with musical tendencies in you. The fact that you can walk a straight line shows me that you have rhythm. The fact that you can speak and your vocal cords vibrate to make sounds in different tones so that you can communicate shows me that you in and of yourself are a musical being. That means that you were created with music in mind. You can keep time. You can keep cadence. 
You say, well, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I don't care. You can still, I, I've heard cows beller. Yeah. Amen. You, you are musical by nature. And if that's the case, then no historian or evolutionist has ever got the picture that all the earliest forms of music that you can find are connected in some way, shape, or form with the religious group. What does that mean? That maybe, just maybe, history is telling us that music is somehow connected to deity in some way, shape, or form. So if that's the origination of music and where, the question of where did music come from, well, if that's where music came from, if we're just using process of elimination, just, you know, the intellectual process of just what kind of makes sense, you know, common sense, then music's relation to God is important. Music's relations to God, again, it starts with God. It begins with God back in Job chapter 38. <coughs> Excuse me. And it shows that he creates things uh, musically. And music was designed to glorify God primarily, number one, and stop. Okay? Uh, if we, it would take all night to go through the verses that say, Sing unto the Lord. Sing unto the Lord, sing unto the Lord. He tells you who to sing to. It would take us all night to go through the verses that say, Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord, on the high symbol, on the tabret, and, and uh, skillfully on strings of music. Sing unto the Lord, sing unto the Lord, sing unto the Lord. When, Noah, or excuse me, when Moses was given the pattern of, of how to, uh, to establish the, uh, the, the Israelites in the tabernacle and the offices of the Levitical priesthood, there was uh, sections of the, of the Levitical priesthood that were literally their job was to be singers. Their job was to be musicians. That was their job. There were some people that, that did the sacrifices, and there were some people that tended to uh, you know, different, um, different uh, tasks around the tabernacle. And then there were those whose primary job was to sing and to praise God skillfully with instruments. Okay? And so if that's the case, music is designed to glorify God. And we won't turn there for sake of time, but Psalms chapter 17, David is somewhat of a pretty negative psalm when he talks about, um, he talks about uh, his enemies and how they're you know, trying to go over him and everything else. And at the very end of that psalm, he says, But I will awake uh, in thy likeness. And he's writing a psalm, which is a musical um, uh, a musical uh, form right there. He says, encourage yourself as psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It's a song in and of itself. What does that show us? That if, it was, if there was no God, there would be no reason to sing. There would be no reason to sing if there wasn't a God. Matter of fact, this is where they really don't like it. Here, here you go. You want to know why I believe the Bible is the word of God? <laughs> because you can't make some of this stuff up. Exodus chapter 12 they, they leave the, 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 uh, the uh, nation of Egypt, right? The land of Egypt, which is a type of the world. And they escape it via the Red Sea. Okay? You know where the first song is sung? Exodus 15. You say, why is that? Until you're, until you're washed in the blood and escape the world, you have no reason to sing. But after you cross the Red Sea and you're, you escape the, uh, the land of Egypt, you know what? Now you've got a song to sing. And God gives you a song in your heart. And so <laughs> it's really, really interesting that the first mention of song is in Exodus chapter 15. Now that's music's relation to God. Now, if that's important, and I believe it is, then if music's relation to God, there's also a relation to the devil. Because again, in Ezekiel chapter number 28, turn there. I know a lot of you already know this stuff, but again, it's important to go over it <clears throat> for some that may not know. Ezekiel chapter 28 <coughs> Excuse me. Ezekiel 28, look in verse number 13. Again, time frame, he tells you, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. 
Okay, so time frame, this is Lucifer after the fall. That's, um, that's Isaiah chapter 14, right? I will ascend and be like the Most High. I'll put my throne above the stars of God, so on and so forth. He says, thou, uh, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, thou son of the morning. Okay, and then he says, uh, again, verse number 13, um, excuse me, thou hast been in the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and gold. Workmanship of thy, look at this, tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou wast created. <clears throat> Those are musical instruments that are, that are created within the cherub that covereth, which is Lucifer himself. And so when he falls, what you have to understand that music and its relationship with the devil is that music was a conduit for God's created beings to worship and glorify him. Does that make sense? That is the conduit in which God receives glory and praise or a conduit that God receives glory and praise. Okay, with that said, the devil is then made or Lucifer is made musical being. He falls, he, he uh, is, is cast down, a third of the angels cast down with him. And again, to go back to our, relation, our uh, music's relationship with God, if every, old, if every other religion has some form of music that is used in worship, then you know what we know, and this is something that you should write down, that every good thing or every bad thing on earth is a good thing twisted. And so if God receives worship and praise through song, so doesn't the devil. You understand? Music is spiritual in and of itself. Now, no, I want you to notice this, that if that's the case, and music has a relation to God uh, for worship, that music has a relation to the devil, and he receives worship through it. This is why over in Daniel, you see Nebuchadnezzar, who is one of the greatest types of Antichrist in your Bible. He is receiving worship at uh, an image, and they're falling down when music starts playing. And they fall down and they worship an image. That's why during the Dark Ages you have, you have the Gregorian chants that take place in the Roman Catholic Church. Those monotones, oh, you know. <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they're doing. Right? It's dead music. It's dead music and, and it doesn't glorify or worship God. But what it does is, it, is the devil twists that thing and in a religious form, he then receives worship through whatever it is they're worshiping. That's why when the nation of Israel would go by and take a, take a, a, a piece of land over, he say, get rid of their idols. Don't worship their idols. Because a demonic presence takes residency up in that, and the worship in which you give it, the devil then soaks it up. That's what he's after. Okay? And so if that's the case, if we then divorce music from its original purpose, we set ourselves up for a very scary open door to spiritual activity. Does that make sense? Okay, when you misappropriate music, you open yourself up that you can now be offering spiritual praise and spiritual worship to an entity that you have no business worshiping. This is the origination of music. <clears throat> music is made to glorify God primarily, but that's not all. I want to show you one more thing before I get into some of the practical things tonight. Go to Psalms chapter number 40. Psalms chapter number 40. It's funny because in Genesis chapter 2, 16 through 17, God shows the purpose of the tree of life was not for man, but it was for God. And then in Genesis chapter 3, the devil comes to Eve and he twists it and he makes the purpose about man and not about God. And he tricks her. That tree wasn't in the garden for Eve. That tree was in the garden for God. And what he did was he changed the purpose of what the tree was for. And when he made it about man, the devil got in. Music is no different. Music is meant to, uh, the purpose is for God. And if you make it primarily about man, then you change its fundamental uh, use and you open yourself up for the devil to come in. 
Uh, just so you know, the degeneration of music, um, Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills Abel, right? Moral values, they get shot down, okay? Um, Moses goes up into the mountain, and the people start worshiping a golden calf, music, worshiping uh, just as Moses is gone. So in Genesis chapter 4, <clears throat> that takes place. Genesis 4.21, Jubal comes on the scene. That's the, that's the father of all, uh, of all that is harp and organ. Okay, so those are your two primary uh, musical uh, instruments. You have your string instruments and your wind instruments. I know that there's other ones, but I'm telling you that as far as the, the primary two is your wind and your string instruments. Okay? And so there was great musical advancement from the fall of man to the flood. Okay? From the fall of man to the flood, there's all kinds of musical advancements. But the problem is, uh, before I take it, uh, Psalm uh, 40, go back to Job chapter 20, uh, 21. This is funny. This is just coincidence, I guess. So yes, Jubal is the father of all that uh, play uh, harp and organ. And between the fall of man in Genesis and to the flood, where God takes everybody out, look at what's going on. They change the fundamental use of music. Job chapter 21, verse uh, 12. They take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth and in moment go down to the grave. Therefore they say unto God, depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy, of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? So between the fall of man and the flood, that is what music has degenerated to. And just in case you wanted more context, go to chapter 22. Chapter 22, look in verse number 15. Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden, which were cut down out of time, whose foundation was overflown with a flood, which said unto God, Depart from us. And what can the Almighty do for them? That's exactly what they said. And they, and they had their own set of music, and that music numbed them to what God was trying to tell them, what God was trying to do, and it had totally changed their heart to the point now, submersed in that music, they said, God, get away from us. We want nothing to do with you. That's music at its lowest form. And God says, all right, turn the water on. <laughs> you see? So it degenerates. Psalm chapter number 40 one more thing about what music is supposed to do, and it gives us a little bit of insight into where we're going next. Verse number three. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Look at this. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. A couple things I want to draw out here that are pretty peculiar. For one, it doesn't say many shall hear it. It says they'll see it. And then when they see it, it produces conviction, and they turn to the Lord through that, that music. That tells you two things. There's two things when it comes to music, especially when it, in, in, in relation to the church. First off is optics, what it looks like, what you see with your eyes. And then number two, the message. There's optics, and then there's messaging. Every uh, public relations person of some famous people or business entity, they, they, they worry about two things. They worry about optics, and they worry about messaging. And that's, that's uh, as far as what your Bible says about music, it says you've got to worry about how it looks and what the message behind it. Now, before I get into the next thing, that's the origination of music. And again, that is just a nutshell. That is literally just a, a nutshell, just a quick little rundown to get to wet your whistle on that thing to prove that I'm not out of my mind when I'm saying what I'm saying tonight. But, <coughs> excuse me, um, the, uh, the operation of music, how we use it, is extremely important. And you have to understand that I'm not talking about the words of a song. 
The minute, the minute that you try to, the minute that you try to unplug the argument of music to uh, a lyrical, a lyrical argument, you basically give every contemporary church a leg to stand on. You understand? If you if you try to argue from a point of, well, just listen to the words of this song, then okay, as long as it's got Jesus in it, it's okay. You see, that's the problem. The argument that I'm proposing to you right now, it has nothing to do with the lyrics of a song. It's musical composition. Music in and of itself is spiritual. And, we, and this is where we get into to, to the operation of music. What music does, what does it do? We know where it came from. We know what its primary purpose is. We know its relation to the devil. And there's a tight line that we have to, that we have to understand. Why is it so powerful? What is it about music that... Um, that makes it so powerful. Again, Colossians 3.16 tells us we encourage ourselves with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as like Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19 tells us. But go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. It gives us a little bit more insight of where the basis of our argument stands. And that is that it's not about the words of the song, because if, you, if you've listened to any, if you've ever been to a contemporary church or some other ecumenical church, and I'm not just sitting here bashing churches tonight, but listen, folks, there's denominations and they're different. I can't help you, okay? And they have a different thought process about music, and music differentiates every single one of them. You go to a church of Christ and, you know, they don't play any music at all. Just, hmm, <laughs> you know? And then they, they, they let at it, you know, a cappella sound because instruments are the devil, and you go to some contemporary Christian church, and they think that the fact that they have a Christian rock band and they have you know this, that, and the other, that that's, that's somehow, you know, the optics of that are good because, after all, aren't we supposed to attract the world to come into our churches? You see, so every denomination has their own sense of what optics and messaging are. Okay? But what is it about music that is actually the fundamental, what is the active ingredient that is the spiritual conduit for what it accomplishes. 1 Samuel chapter number 16, starting verse number 14. <clears throat> it says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. And he answered the servants, Behold, I have found the son of Jesse of Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing, and mighty valiant man, and a man of war, prudent in matters, and comely person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse, and said, Send me David thy son, which is uh, with his sheep. And Jesse took an ass, laden bread, and bottle of wine, and kid, and sent him by David, his, uh, sent by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. Verse 23, And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and, uh, and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. He didn't sing him a little ditty. He took his hand and he played skillfully an instrument. And that music that was plucked on the strings of that harp somehow coaxed an evil spirit away and conjured, if you will, or coaxed a good spirit back in. So the spiritual transaction doesn't take place through the words of the song, but it takes place in the music. There is an argument for the lyrics. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth. If you want to go into Proverbs, it talks about singing to a heavy heart. And it talks about, you know, not letting any kind of unclean thing come out of your lips. And trust me, if you want to go into the, the lyrical argument, there's plenty of verses for the lyrical argument. But again, if you make that argument, then just because it has Jesus in it, then the alternative is, is look it. I can take an ACDC song, play it in church and call it the highway to heaven and say, hey, there's nothing wrong with it. Now that happens. 
I watched a video uh, one time. There was a contemporary church. They, had, they came out and they started playing Highway to Hell, the song. And they had, they had pyrotechnics on the stage. This was a church service. Had smoke coming in. And they started, they changed the lyrics. And they, had, like, they said they had 10 people come up and get saved. And the lead singer of that band comes up and he says, See, are you going to say that this music isn't good? Well, 10 people just got saved. So what do you do with that? You know what you do with that? The end never justifies the means. You don't use, you don't use uh, uh, wicked stuff um, to attract people and give them your bait and, your bait and switch, and you get them in on this, 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 uh, this, um, uh, this, this, this concept of this, oh, this is great music, it's great live music, and, uh, and, and then you give them the gospel, and you say, oh, see, we, the Lord used it. No, he didn't. You're a con artist. You're a, con, you're a liar. And guess what? The spirit that you brought in there wasn't the Holy Spirit. And so the operation of music, you have to understand that um, in the world in which we live in today and in the church, we have to understand that it is the musical foundation uh, that if we, if we depart from the basic principles of just good, clean music, you could be up here singing a hymn and you could be chasing the Holy Spirit out the door. You understand? This is a serious topic. We've just been talking about special music here recently. And uh, I talked about it down in, in, in Jacksonville with some friends of mine. And this is something that I've been thinking about writing uh, stuff on. And I think I'm going to finally do it here. Um, and it kind of got my fire lit underneath me with some things that took place down in Jacksonville this year on this, on this topic. And... The fact of the matter is, is there's this, there's this line of, okay, we're trying to protect our churches from this contemporary movement coming in and polluting Bible-believing churches. Because what's happening now is you have Bible believers, and what they're doing is they're going out to contemporary outlets or, or composers or songwriters, and they're taking those songs, and then they're just putting it to music that we would say is fine. And so what you're doing is they're getting in. And the music is slipping, and the music is slipping, and the music is slipping. And the mu so how do we stop it? Right? The problem is, is there's not a hard line. And there's two things that are detrimental to this. Again, there's the pressure that's on musicians. Okay? Since the advent of the fact that you have every piece of music at your fingertips at any time you want, and it's, record, it's, 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 uh, it's recorded quality and done by professional musicians who don't even believe like you believe, by the way. Everybody in here, listen, I understand Doyle Lawson just as much as the next person. The guy is, the guy is as off-doctrinal as you could possibly be. Half of his songs are works for salvation. And you know what? You see him sung in churches all the time. It's not even the right doctrine. It's, not, it's literally, it's, you can lose your salvation. It happens all the time, okay? So it's going both ways. So there's pressure on musicians to think that you have to be a, a recording studio artist in order to get up and sing a special at church. Is that fair? There's pressure like, oh, I can't make mistakes and I can't, I can't you know, like the, 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 the barrier of entry is super high. And because that's always in the forefront of our mind, and it's what, we, it's what we consume on a regular basis for our Christian entertainment, it then it, it comes in and there's, there's residual effects that take place and show up in the church. You realize that special music 50, 60 years ago was a person standing up with either an organ player or a piano player and a hymnal, and there was no special, there was no special arrangement there was no nothing. It was played as it was written in the hymnal. And one person stood up and they sang that hymn. And that was the special. You mean they sang the special the same way they sang the congregational? Yeah, they did. And you want to know what happened? The people in the pews would come unglued. And they would shout. And they would praise the Lord. And they'd run around the church. And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that that's the evidence that God is in it. What I'm saying is, is that they would do that. That's what tripped their trigger. If you do that now, snooze fest. Why? 
Because you're used, to, you're used to all this other stuff. And so there's the pressure on the musician, but then there's the expectation of the congregation. We came here to be entertained. You see? So play us something that we haven't heard before. Play us the hymn, but play it in a way that's a little bit different. Add your own little twist to it. You see what I'm saying? Just go ahead and tweak it a little bit so that, you know, we, 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 we emphasize a certain part of the song or we sing it in a certain way, in a different tempo, in a different beat. And you know what? We can get a different feel to the song. Because we need to be entertained. And the more you entertain us, then, then we'll give you our response. You see, we have become callous. The majority of music that was consumed 40, 50 years ago didn't come from Spotify or Apple Music. It was live recordings of church services. Or CDs that were put out uh, by individuals. And the quality, if you've ever listened to some old CDs that, you know, certain families put out or whatever, the quality's not the greatest. They did the best they could, but they didn't have a bunch of auto-tune. Now listen, again, I'm saying these things, and I'm saying that there is nuance to this. I'm not saying that having a CD that was professionally done is of the devil. I'm saying is, is you have to be careful that you... Don't expect a certain thing, and then when you don't get it, you don't respond. Say, so what does that do? That opens, up, that opens up the door to have to do more and have to do more and have to do more. We have to constantly reinvent the wheel. We have to constantly entertain. And you know what you're doing? You're, you're putting a blind spot. You're opening up a, a place for the enemy to come in and stick you with something. And then you let something come in, and you're like, Oh, I don't really know if that should be here or not. You see, I believe special music is very similar to preaching. And I'll get into that in just a second. But you wouldn't just let anybody step in a pulpit and preach. Just like if somebody walks in the back door and we don't know who they are to say, hey, I got a special, I'd like to sing a special. Uh, sorry, what? I don't know what you're going to do. Why don't you sit down for a while and see what our church is like and see what our, the songs, people that sing songs up here and we know what they're going to do and we know what kind of songs they're going to sing. And like, why don't you just go ahead and get a feel for what we're doing? But no, you have people that come in and say, I have been singing all my life and I have the voice of a canary, you know, and I can really, really, the Lord really uses me to minister through music. Yeah, and he did the devil too. So uh, <laughs> maybe we just slow, put the brakes on just for just a minute, Right? I had a conversation uh, one time with a, uh, um, two, different, two different people at uh, different times. There was a, uh, there was a guy down in uh, Tennessee. He's a, he's a really, really well-known um, um, uh, musical instrument uh, maker. Um, he, uh, he made mandolins. He's made guitars. He makes all kinds of stuff. Makes them for plenty of professional musicians down in, in, in Nashville. And uh, I went to his place with me and Andrew Ferguson one time. We went down to his place and... Um, and, and he was sitting there playing some stuff, and man, he had this great guitar he just, he just made, and very, very well-known luthier. And um, I asked him, I said, I said, uh, I heard him playing some old country songs and that kind of thing. And I said, what do, you, what do you do with hymns? And I see that old backwoods guy, just music instruments, he's got thousands and thousands of dollars of music instruments everywhere. He starts plucking out, um, I come to the garden alone. And I swear to you, he starts singing that song with that old, like, little mountain groan in his voice. And I just asked him, I said, well, what do you do? I said, he starts talking about, he's like, man, these instruments, man, they just, these, the, the, the tone of these songs. And I said, what about hymns? And he looked at me and he smiled and he starts playing, I come to the garden alone. And the tears start coming down his face. He says, ain't nobody write songs like that. You see, what we have to understand is we have to get back acquainted to music in its purest form. I, I talked to another songwriter, and I uh, was talking to this lady, and um, she's a pretty well-known songwriter and where she's from. And uh, we were talking, sitting down, and she was saying that I write music to express myself. And so 
And so my songs and my music are an extension of my life experience, they're an extension of who I am, and I want them to minister to other people who are going through similar circumstances and situations in their life. And we came to the point where she was sad because she says, I don't feel like you will like my music because of how you, you know, we're both musicians and we're, and we're talking. And she said, I feel like you don't like my music. And I said, it's not that I don't like your music. It's that we approach music fundamentally different. Music to you is primarily a source of self-expression. As a musician, as a songwriter. The problem is, if I approach music in the same way as a musician and say, my music that I'm creating, so that they say it's an art, right? It's an art form. So this art or this music that I'm creating is an extension of who I am as a person and I am expressing myself. What I do is I undercut the, the principal use of music. It's not to express myself. It's to uplift and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? And so I fundamentally cannot approach music that way. Every bit of popular music today, and I would say probably 80 to 90% of Christian music today, maybe the percentage is even higher because you don't understand Bible-believing like solid music, it doesn't exist. Bible believers don't make anything. We just complain about stuff. We're problem finders, not problem solvers by nature, right? Well, there's no good music out there. Everybody's like, okay, well, why don't you make a CD, <laughs> right? Well, you wouldn't do that. You just complain that there's no good music out there, right? <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't dare learn an instrument and just try to do it the right way. You'd just rather complain that nobody's doing it the right way, <laughs> okay? But if I, if I express myself, I then... I then hide the Lord Jesus Christ. So the operation of music, it's extremely important that we use it in the right way because it is absolutely important that, and it is absolutely a precursor in our church services to the preaching. And it brings the Holy Spirit. It makes him feel comfortable. It softens the hearts of people. There is a unseen transaction that takes place in an individual when music is done correctly there's a spiritual transaction that takes place that softens your heart to hear the word of God and so my final thing tonight and we'll wrap it up and that is the utilization of music how do how do we utilize it in the church now listen again you you have your own appetite for music I'm not talking about that. Everybody, listen, you have your own preferences. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of you prefer bluegrass. Some of you, bluegrass is like chalk, you know, nails on a chalkboard. I get that. Some of you like that up tidy whitey, you know, you like, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, for me, I was like, I don't really care for that all that much, you know. I'll, maybe, maybe that's how they sing in heaven. Someone's like, well, that's how they'll sing in heaven. I don't know. I think mean, there may be a banjo there. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Maybe he's got different genres. So you can just hang out wherever you want, you know, and whatever. Have an appreciation for it. I don't know. But I, I know this. Everybody has their own preferences, and that's fine. And you may consume a certain diet, if you will, of music in your personal life. I get that. Okay? I get that. But as far as the church is concerned, as far as the church is concerned, go to Psalm chapter 133. This is a fundamental, I think principle would be the right word. Or if we're looking at music and how it is utilized in the church, we cannot divorce it from the church service in and of itself. Where does it fit? Psalm chapter 133. The Bible says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's how a church should be. We should be a unified body of believers. Amen. Right? 
We're all different. We all have different minds, different thoughts about certain things. But in and of itself, the doctrine and the, 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 what we believe and the stances that we take in this church, it unifies us with something deeper than this, the superficial you know, idiosyncrasies of other people. Right? It transcends that. Something deeper, something more divine and eternal brings us together in unity. But then he says this, he says, surely I have, uh, excuse me, I'm, that's not the right chapter. Verse uh, 2 of 33, 133. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard of even Aaron's beard and went down to the skirts of his garment. Now he's talking about Aaron the priest and he's anointed as the priest and they pour the oil on Aaron's head and it flows down his hair onto his beard, down his garment, all the way to the ground. Okay, this is a type of the church service. He was a priest in the service of the tabernacle of the Lord. Do we see, do we see the type? And the oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. And so the service, it starts with an outpouring and it comes down from the head. And it has to reach even the lowest people down here. Not saying that you're the low peasant people, but what it has to do is it has to get from God all the way down to everybody that's here to get something. Okay, that, with that picture in mind, the garments of the priest were of material that inherently did not wick moisture. So when you poured that oil, there was nothing that that oil was going to hit that would, been, that would suck it up and then hinder it from getting any further. Folks, when we meet here for church, God wants to pour out the Holy Spirit in this place when we get together. Amen. That's what God wants to do. The Holy Spirit will be dumped out, and then we have what we call order of service. It probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you guys, nor should it, if, unless you have to be involved in it. Right? The order of service, though, is a big deal. I didn't even realize it was when I first started. I've just, no big deal. You just get up, you do what you always do, and, you know, you get to preaching. What you realize is how you order the service. The Holy Spirit is like a dove. It can be grieved, it can be quenched, and you have to sometimes move things around, and maybe we don't sing this, and maybe we do this, and maybe this, that, and the other. And every place that somebody interjects themselves in the order of service is an opportunity for that oil to be soaked up and stop flowing as it's supposed to. So, it starts when church service starts. We're all here. We get here. We're ready. We have a mind. We start singing, right? Congregational music starts, right? want to come and want to just start singing, you know what? I am really careful about making comments during special or during, during congregational singing. I know I do it sometimes, and that's to break up the monotony, right? Sometimes it feels like it's just dragging a little bit, and so I'll make a comment, right? And I'm just trying to break it up a little bit, and I try not to do anything to where it draws attention to myself. Now, sometimes I may fail and you say, yeah, you open your mouth and I hate it. You know, I get it. I, me too. I don't really like it either. Right. But then you also, you have, you have that. Then you move into the announcements to do those in a way where it doesn't seem super mundane and like this, that, and the other, have a little bit of levity, but be able to, you know, get people, you know, to where they're kind of, I mean, the time of service, a Sunday night service is different than a Sunday morning service. How people respond to the weather outside, the temperature outside. There's all these things take role in how you, you conduct a service. And then you, ha and then you do, tra there's transitions through the service. Okay, we're going to sing two songs and then we're going we're gonna to pray. And then we're going to have announcements. We're going to bring uh, the, the ushers up, right? We're going to have this. And then we're going to sing another congregational. Where do we do this, that, and the other? And so all these things are taking place. And then you have the special music that comes up. You know what? I, I was at a church service one time, and there was a preacher there. He's an evangelist, and he sang. And uh, he got up there, and he wasn't asked to preach. But he asked to sing. And he says, you know what? As an evangelist that sings, you know what I get to do? I get to bootleg preach. Anybody ever heard that term before? This is called bootleg preaching. And so basically you asked me to sing, but I'm going to go ahead and just interject myself and tell you what I think I would like to say, even though I wasn't asked to preach. 
And you know what happens? That oil gets all sucked up. See you later, buddy. Why? Because you had to open your trap. Listen, it's not just music. How about this one? I'm not, listen, just everybody relax, okay? Just relax. Look, you swallowed a sock or something. When it's time to give a testimony, give a testimony, okay? Glorify the Lord. The minute you inject yourself into that thing and you try to start telling people what to do, you then take the, you, you disrupt the flow of the Spirit of God. What we're trying to do is get the Holy Spirit to flow all the way down through until He steps in the pulpit and starts to deliver the message and that's where God starts to speak and starts to talk. So anywhere we put in our own thought and our own thinking and our own way, you run the risk of soaking up the oil and it's like there's a dead spot. And I don't know if you've ever been in a dead spot before and try to get that thing back on the rails in a service. It is extremely difficult. I was preaching a meeting one time, and they, and they get there, and, the, and they had the special singing, and the guy gets up, and he says, we're going to sing I Saw the Light by Hank Williams. <laughs> oh, God. Everyone sing with me if you know it. I'm like, oh, Lord, how am I follow this? You know what I did? I got up in the pulpit, took the battery out of the microphone. I'm like, oh, I need a new battery. It's just, <laughs> it's just a hard stop. Sometimes you just have to hard stop and then reset and like get, get back going again. Right? The minute you interject yourself into this service in some way, shape, or form. Anybody ever been in a service where somebody just, listen, again, I'm not deterring anybody in here. I'm just saying you need to be conscientious of this stuff. Okay, conscientious of this stuff in the middle of a service and somebody says, uh, someone just says, um, you know, I just really want to say something. And they just go off the wall and they just start talking. And you're like, where did that come from? And you know what happens? The oil just. So music is a huge part of the service. And if you use it as a conduit to express yourself, what you then do is you become a sponge and that oil stops flowing. And you have to realize that the church service, that's God's time. We, we do a good job around here. But for the most part, there's a lot of churches around that the service isn't as reverenced as it should be. Okay? How do we utilize music in the church service? You know what we do? Musicians in here, we sing as a congregation. You know what you should do? You should sing with everything you have. That's your opportunity to participate. God is listening and says, sing to me, man. Sing. I want to hear your voice. Lift it up. Enjoy yourself. That's your time to worship and rejoice and, and to participate. God says, I want to hear it. Sing. Don't come in here, sag, bag, and drag. Oh, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. <laughs> Talking through the whole song service? No, man, you're missing out. You don't even realize what you're doing. Because there's four people sitting around you listening to you talk during the, church, during the song service and they're going, what in the world? What in the world? But you know what something? You get that person that, sits, that stands behind you and sits behind you and I'm not talking about nobody because I can't hear it. I, everything's mixed up there, you know, in stereo for me. <laughs> yeah, someone behind you and they're just singing like, thank you Lord for saving my soul. You're like, man. That guy's really letting her fly, you know? <laughs> it's like encouraging a little bit. You're like, yeah. You know, you're like, kind of wish maybe keep it down a little bit because you're ringing my ears. But you know what? That's how you ought to sing. Sing loud you can, man. Let it rip. Let them hear it across the street. Because the minute you, the minute you, 
The minute you start messing around, the minute you start doing this, you know what? What if that's, what if that's just a little bit of oil you just snatch from those five people standing around you? Amen. Right? Can we think about that? I'm trying to tell you that I, I'm not out in left field. Am I? I'm not just preaching my opinion, am I? Okay? And then we, we want people to want to sing specials around here. It's true. When you do, you have to be mindful of the position in which you're in. For one, it's a privilege and a blessing to sing on behalf of the Lord. You have to understand that when you sing a special, it is a ministry, and you should prepare for that just as a preacher prepares for a sermon. Don't just throw it together because you can. Right? Don't just throw it together because you can't. I've been guilty of that. You don't think I've been guilty of that? Come on, man. (laughs) I'm not saying I'm perfect. But I'm saying, you know what? You need to approach it with the right amount of fear. And sometimes it's perfectly all right to give a short little testimony, give a testimony, and then shut it down. That's That's not your soapbox. That's not your time to interject your thoughts and how you think things should be at this point in time. That's his job. He's the preacher. You see that? When we interject ourselves and what we think, when you're not the one that has that position, what you do is you hinder the Holy Spirit from moving. We have to understand how we utilize music. And again, I'm scratching it. This is as basic as I can make this. Okay, these are just little principles to think about when it comes to how we utilize music in the church. We have to be mindful. Am I performing or am I ministering? Am I performing or am I ministering? That shows up in a couple of different ways. Well, I'm not as good as if I've had a dollar. I'm not as good as steadfast. Stop it. Seriously. <laughs> Stop it. I've messed up. I've messed up more. I mean, do y'all remember we were down there at Jesse's place uh, one time, and we started a song like two keys too high, and we were, and we had a key change, and I just went ahead and just said, "Hey, maybe the Lord will get in it, you know," and He'll just help me get up there. And I just like I miss. Ah! I mean, I squeak like I was like 13 years old. Come on, there ain't no professional musicians around here. Okay, so it goes both ways. It's not a performance, so I'm not worried about messing up. You know what I'm, you know what I'm more worried about? Is my heart right when I get up here to sing? Amen. Lord, use us. Lord, help us sing this morning. Lord, what should I sing? Again, I, I, I have a hard time making a hard, making a hard pass saying, if this song is written by so-and-so, we're not going to sing it, and this isn't, this isn't appropriate, and this is that, and this is that, and this is that. Listen, there's a never-ending list of qualifications. I've heard people say, if your song has more than two key changes in it, it's not of God. How do you say that? Bible verse for that, please. You don't have one. So you know what we have to do? As I started this whole thing off, there's two concrete things to help us navigate through a series of nuanced situations. First thing is, the fundamental principle of music is it was designed to glorify God. Right? It was designed to glorify God. And it wasn't designed for you to express yourself, but it was designed for you to, to, to draw praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you use those fundamental principles, then that will help you navigate through these nuanced subjects. And here's another one. Don't be too proud and big-headed for somebody in leadership come up to you and say, hey, maybe you should just take that one out of the, take that one out of the binder. You know what I just did down in Jacksonville? And I didn't have to, but I did. I went up to Brother Sam and said, you want to look at our binder? I've sang, we've sang there for almost a decade. I said, take my binder. You tell me what we can and can't sing. I'll work around what you guys want. Of course, he's, brother, you don't need to do that. I pulled a song because they have, their, they have certain things down there that they're trying to, trying to protect the same kind of thing. 
and we had a song in there that didn't meet that same criteria in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with the song. I would sing it here. I don't have a conviction about it. And Brother Sam was like, oh, brother, it's not that big of a deal. You know, no big deal. You've sang it here before. No big deal. And I said, no, brother, I'm not going to go against what you guys are doing. I'll pull it out of the binder. Don't be too big to be uh, critiqued because after all, the church is going to make its own decisions of how to protect that standard so that we don't find ourselves down a slippery slope. And every church is going to do that differently. And so you have to, if you're going to get into the arena, then make sure that you've got thick enough skin to handle it. Okay? And then just know what the position is and understand the Holy Spirit is trying to get down to that. When we have that invitation, the Lord can start dealing with hearts. And the last thing that I want to do is be that thing that sucks it up and hinders it for somebody else. It's not about me. It's about everybody else and me getting out of the way. When I interject myself in, I want to be able to get back out and not disrupt the flow of what God's trying to do. I know it's a little bit instructional tonight, but let's go ahead and pray. And Pastor, you can do whatever you want. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in church here tonight. I know this was, uh, you know, more instructional uh, but, Father, I believe it's important, Father, as a church, that uh, we can navigate the sensitive topics in the day and age in which we live. So, Lord, we can be pleasing to you in these last days. And, Lord, I don't, I don't want to add to the apostasy. Lord, I want to fight against it. And we want to do right. But we know that we don't live in the 1800s anymore. And so, Lord, help us to find that balance that's pleasing to you in this difficult subject. And we ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.